Welcome to Sports Rivals with Monty and Ernie, lively, entertaining banter on sports topics you want to hear. Welcome to the first week of June edition of the Sports Rivals for Ernie, I, Monty. Together, we're going to talk the world of sports, but Ernie, actually, we're really only going to talk about the NBA for the most (laughs) part today. The NBA Finals, in effect, the first two games in Denver have taken place. Mm -hmm. We'll break that down for you. Now the series shifts to Miami for the next three games. And Ernie, we have a series. I mean, after the first game... People thought Denver may come out flat. They were on break for almost 10 days without a game. Miami kept playing through seven games. It didn't really happen. Denver jumped out from the beginning, led in double digits for most of the game, uh, winning by 11. The talk became, oh, is this going to even be a competitive series? Oh, I never thought that. And then game two happened. So let's start with with, uh, your thoughts on game two since that game just finished. Miami evens the series 111-108. Oh yeah, just like in just like in Miami fashion, this is what they do. I was just waiting for the adjustments off of game one, which Spolstra automatically did. I mean, uh, you're talking about a game one where you know you had very poor shooting. As a Boston Celtics fan, I was thinking, where was that in the previous series? Because there is no way that you can convince me that Denver has a way better off uh, defense than the Boston Celtics. So I was thinking uh, that. Miami was just having a bad shooting night in game one. Game two, it came back, and Max Struess, who was 0 for 10 in game one, made three out of his first four three-point attempts. Great first quarter, uh, but you saw the the mindset of the Denver Nuggets. They come back, they take over the lead, take, take it into halftime with the lead. And then Miami, what they always do, they always come back, they come back in the third and fourth quarter. Uh, but... Unlike in the Boston series, uh, they do it earlier. Boston held, did the same thing. They had a 20-point lead in game two. Held that lead all the way till three minutes into the fourth. When Miami made the run, Boston had no time to catch up. In this case, Miami had the, took over the lead uh, early in the fourth quarter. You saw Denver come back, come back, come back. But in the end... It was still not enough time, but they at least they got it down to a, what, what was it, a three-point win? Yeah, it was three points at the end. And, yeah. and I think what happened was I think Denver was – it seemed to me that Denver was listening to what the media was talking about over the last three days. They came out flat. I mean, Coach Malone was not happy. He took a timeout early. He was yelling at them to wake up. Their defensive rotations were horrendous. Struess was wide open for those, those shots. Gabe Vincent was wide open for shots. And then they put it all together. They went on this tremendous run to go up by 15 points. And it's almost as if at that point they took their pedal off the metal again. Um, But the difference between games one and game two, Murray was good in game one. Jokic had another triple-double. He was dominant. Today, it was only the Joker that really played well for the Nuggets with 41 points. Uh, 10 rebounds, but only three or four assists. He was forced to score because nobody else was hitting shots. Where Miami, 
everyone was hitting shots. Gabe Vincent, 23 points, four three-pointers. Butler, 21 points. Bam, 21 points. You alluded to Struess bouncing back. He only goes four for 10, but it was key in the beginning of the game to give them some confidence and give them some leads. And then Duncan Robinson comes and goes four for four down the stretch. Um, Caleb Martin hit a, a nice three. They were 17 for 35 from three. They bounce back like Miami does. And for Denver, Michael Porter Jr. was horrendous today. Mm-hmm. He only hit two shots. He only hit, he was two for 11 in game one. His shooting was not the biggest problem. His defense was just oh, yeah. horrible. All those open three-pointers was pretty much yeah, on one, Michael Porter Jr.'s yeah, Gabe man. Vincent, Gabe Vincent's uh, go-ahead was like, can't believe and that's that's what Miami will do to you and then KCP KCP with those two horrible fouls on three-point shots that gave them six points uh, on desperation three-point attempts it was it was not a good game for for Denver Um, now we go to Miami we'll see we'll see what I think we'll get the best game in game three I think we'll get the best for Miami at home I think we'll get the best for Denver you know, bouncing back after this loss. They have three days between games again, so they should be nice and rested. Um, but Joker is clearly the best player in this in this <laughs> in this series. Right now he is. Yeah. Look for Jimmy Butler hasn't we haven't had a Jimmy Butler we haven't had a Jimmy Butler game in a long in, since, time since, since game uh, one or game two in the Boston series, right? No, not even Boston. His best one was game one in Boston. He only had thirty. What I'm talking about is the Jimmy Butler game, uh, a la Milwaukee, a la uh, New York Knicks. Yeah. That kind of Jimmy Butler game where he is like. I'm Phenomenal. Afraid. I, I'm afraid he's exhausted. I'll, I'll tell you this. Those two games, those two Jimmy Butler games, Jokic didn't have those two games like Jimmy Butler. The best two, uh, Jimmy Butler's best two games, Joker's the better player. I'm not saying anything like that. No disrespect to Jim, to him. But those, the way, the manner in which he scored, the manner in which he took over the games, in those two games, uh, when he scored 56 against Milwaukee, when he came back, uh, boy, I can't even remember if it was the Milwaukee series or, uh, but he scored like 42, the one where he was falling down yeah, and he against shoots, Milwaukee. Well, that was against Milwaukee, dude. Those, I mean, you're talking about carry me on. Right now, he's getting help. Yeah. And if you have help, that's fine. But, but Jimmy, the, the but, thing yeah. that I worry about with Jimmy Butler, though, is, 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 because it's it's the first two series, he was averaging 35 points mm-hmm. on 50-plus percent shooting. The Boston series in the first two games here, he's down to 21 points a game, shooting only 39-40% from the field. So is that exhaustion? Or is the leg starting to go? Because he's missing some... What he was hitting before and what he's missing now seems to be like maybe some fatigue has has kicked in. But you're right. If they get a 50-point Jimmy Butler game, they're going to win. I mean, it's going to be awfully hard. Denver's going to need Murray to get back on track. Um, Jimmy Butler, I think that was the best part of Jimmy Butler's game today is he really gave Jamal Murray a hard time. He was guarding Jamal Murray, uh, and he gave him a hard time. And Aaron Gordon is doing what Aaron Gordon does. He gave Kevin Durant a hard time. He gave the Lakers a hard time, whoever he was guarding. Uh, and now he's giving Jimmy Butler a hard time. He's taking the challenge of guarding the best player, and his length and his athleticism 
create some issues. So three games in Miami now. I mean, Miami has to win two out of three, I would think. Um, If they win, if they win two out of three, they're going to win this series. I really think Denver's got to win two out of three in order for them to take this series. Uh, Miami is just. If it gets close, I mean, I'm just. It's. This it's is a this scary. is a man this is a man that is still haunted by I, them beating them beating the, the the Celtics and 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 you have Spolstra but very interesting I mean after game one I, I thought that uh, Denver was going to win at least the first two and then go back to Miami that didn't happen today we have a series and it's probably good for the NBA because I think as it is there's not a whole lot of interest no. in this. Um, Finals, and if Denver had won again today in a blowout fashion like the first game, then you really would have had a situation yeah. where no one would be paying I'll, attention. I'll tell you when people will people will be paying attention when Miami wins the next if they win the next game, and they, I expect them to win the next. If they take the lead in this series, I would expect them to uh, to garner more viewership because it, it's all been disrespect. I mean, disrespect when they played Milwaukee, disrespect when they played the New York Knicks, even though I thought they were going to beat the New York Knicks, disrespect from when they played the Boston Celtics, disrespect on game seven when they win the first three, then loses the next three. Everybody counted them out in game seven. Uh, me as a Boston fan, I took a lot of heat going into game seven being uh, worrisome. I was wrong. And I was right. <laughs> and the right part was I was wrong about who was going to win the game. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, I, But I think it's not just the disrespect for Miami. I just think Denver is a relatively boring – Joker is a boring player. Yeah, he is. So I don't think there's a whole – and he's not American too. So yeah. you have a pick situation. Pick last in the yeah. NBA All-Star game. <laughs> yeah. He's very, he's very much like the Dirk Nowinski when he carried the Mavericks to a championship. But what made that interesting – that was LeBron and D Wade and Bosch's first trip to the finals. So you had marquee superstar draws there. Um, this one, if it it needs to go to six or seven to get solid viewerships for games six or seven. Mm. Um, so hopefully, hopefully that happens. So again, that's Ernie Imonti. Now we're gonna shift to the rest of the NBA news. And there's a lot of NBA news. Um, Let's start with the comings and goings, mostly the comings. Monty Williams does not go unemployed very long, signs a record deal with the Detroit Pistons. Crazy. Six years, $78.5 million, making him the highest paid coach in the entire NBA. Um, I guess if you're going to make that much money, you don't mind going to, to the Pistons, who have been down for a number of years. Although they do have some young talent. If, if Kate Cunningham can stay healthy, now we're going to his third year. He's been hurt the first two. Um, Jaden Ivey continues to develop. Wiseman, maybe he can get him to develop. Yep. Jalen Duran, um, they get the number five pick. So there's some young talent there. And I think he gets... Sometimes there are coaches that prefer to work with young kids that they can mold rather than with superstars. And he's just leaving a situation where he had nothing but stars. So Monty Williams goes there. Um, The Suns respond to that by taking former Laker coach Frank Vogel. He's agreeing to a five-year contract. They're keeping their top assistant coach, preventing him from going to Monty Williams, making him the first NBA assistant coach to get a $2 million a year salary. So they keep him in Phoenix as an assistant coach. And then the big news, what I really want to talk about with Ernie, is... 
Quickly after the Celtic loss, Brad Stevens comes out, has a press conference, shoots down my expectation. I felt like he was looking me right in the eye and saying, Monty from the Sports Rivals, we're not getting rid of Joel Mazzula. He is staying. Your thoughts on that, Ernie, that conviction to keep Joel Mazzula? I mean, I, I can see it. I mean, for all the reasons that he stayed, I can see I'm just disappointed in uh, what he's expecting. Because what he said really did not transpire, at least in my eyes, during the playoffs. Uh, he talked most about small tweaks in regards to the coaching staff. He believes, like you said, in Joe Mazzula's uh, philosophy in reg- regarding this, this particular Boston Celtics team. Uh, he didn't seem to think that the, uh, there were any regrets in regards to the playoffs, and I could count on on like almost two hands how many regrets I had, mostly in regards to uh, his... Uh, Rotation and his timeout calling, uh, which kind of got taken out. I mean, kind of got corrected in the latter part of the Eastern Conference Final, but still yet. I believe that the Boston Celtics are playing in NBA Finals. If he did, if he called at least one timeout in the third quarter where Boston had a nine point lead at the half and then had what a 14 point lead going into the fourth quarter, they got outscored. What was that? 38 to 15. No timeouts in the quarter. <laughs> no timeouts in the third quarter. I couldn't believe that. And th- that belonged to. There was a twenty-three to two run in that part where he did not call any timeouts, and I, w- I was like, "Come on, Brad, you're just sounding like Joe Mazzula, you know, because he was your pick." But on the flip side, who was out there to be taken? We're gonna take Bud. I mean. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the Celtics would have had to have made a play quickly. Maybe they were they were interested in Monty Williams, and then Detroit threw up that $78.5 million figure. Boston's not going to pay the yeah. coach that much when they're going to have to pay the players $600 million over the next five or six years. Yeah, when plus, you talk about Jalen Brown and, plus they and Tatum. Yeah, plus they would have been stuck with Bazula's contract. So you're talking about having to pay Monty Williams what he— uh, what Phoenix was basically offering him or something like that, if he was going to take that, which was what you mentioned, about $10 million, mm-hmm. and then paying Joe Mazzullo, which we find out is $4 million, that's $14 million. Uh, the highest paid coach up until Monty Williams was Pop. He only made $11 million. So that would have been, yeah, that's not Boston Celtics style. Yeah, so, I mean, for, for the Celtics, my personal opinion is that if you keep this team intact, um, they would have been better off with a more experienced, a better equipped coach at this point in time. But that's not going to happen. So at this point in time, you just have to make the best of the situation. And who knows? Joe Mazzula may make a leap between last year and this year. Maybe he adjusts his staff, brings in somebody that has a better uh, pulse on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I saw that three of his assistant left. coaches are leaving yeah. to join Imi Udoka staff in Houston. Now, that might be not be a bad thing. Maybe they can put together a, a better fitting staff. Uh, from the outside looking in, uh, in, from your perspective, see, a lot of Boston fans, I've been reading all about that, says that that's a reflection on Joe. Because when you go, you leave Boston, which is a perennial, perennial deep uh, contender in the NBA playoffs, going to Houston, which may take, it may take a while. You know, they're a good, young, talented team, but it may take two, three years oh, for them yeah. to even sniff. Well, but then you don't know, too. I mean, Houston may be throwing big dollars at them because they're not paying really anyone. 
And those are Emi Odoka's guys. He's the ones that brought, I'm assuming he brought all of these guys to Boston. So if they're going to remain an assistant coach, maybe they feel more comfortable see, with see, him. See, and that's the part because they're saying that coaching opportunities come on championship level teams. You don't get promoted coming from a cellar dweller. You get promoted to be a, a top assistant or a head coach from championship level teams. Uh, Mike Brown, Golden State Warriors, you know, Budenholzer coming from the San Antonio Spurs, you know, uh, Nick Nurse coming from, where did he come from? Oh, no, well. From the same basic tree, Yeah, right? same, same, but I think he came from, uh, from, from G League. You don't see somebody coming from, like, this year's Detroit Pistons fired. Mm-hmm. You know, this year's. Uh, Houston Rockets all fired. So you're saying that they're if if they left for Houston, that their that could be a reflection action. of their thoughts for Joe Mazzula. That's what. The, and once they made the commitment to keeping Joe Mazzula, they opted to all leave. That's the that's the word because like like I just mentioned, the opportunity to leave championship caliber team versus going into a. You know, and, and who knows? Maybe Imedoka, uh, you know, does the fast track on a lot of these young stars, you know, and they're able to accelerate the game. But in my opinion, they're at least at least two years, maybe even three years away from the playoffs. Oh, definitely. I mean, they have some talent, but I don't even... I, I still think those that talent doesn't necessarily fit. I think some of them have questionable characters. And then if they were to look to bring in James Harden, that would be a complete and utter disaster to me. So that's kind of what's going on in the coaching ranks. Um, Let's talk a little bit of rumors um, about possible NBA players to get traded. So in the same press conference, Joe Mazzulla reiterated that Jalen Brown is going nowhere. Um, I'm not buying that necessarily because there's still a lot of Jalen Brown chatter, especially to the Atlanta Hawks. I, I've seen, um, so we'll see. So, but possibles. Jalen Brown, I think, is definitely a possible. AD and LeBron. I'm hearing now that they're not going anywhere. Early on, I think LeBron with his "I'm going to retire," trying to manipulate the situation. It sounds like the Lakers are going to extend Anthony Davis with a three-year, $168 million contract, which I'm not sure is smart. But it sounds like those two are off the table. What they are looking to do is a sign-and-trade involving D'Angelo Russell for something, whatever that may be. I'm not exactly sure. The most recent rumor was to Chicago for DeMar Rosen in part of a bigger package. Oh. Um, other names, Julius Randle, he just had his ankle surgery, so we'll see um, that situation. Of course, there's always talk about Jordan Poole being traded, the Toronto Raptors, Pia, uh, Pascal Siakam, and Fred Van Fleet as possible trade pieces. I saw a three-way trade where the Celtics ended up with Pia, uh, Siakam, and they lost Jalen Brown and Brogdon, and they got some other pieces. I thought that proposed trade or that rumored offer was not a bad situation for the Celtics. The Hawk ones that I've seen, the Celtics would be foolish to do that. I don't believe you give up Jaden Brown for, you know, John Collins and Bojan Bogdanovic or those kinds of people. Mm. I mean, that 
to me that doesn't make a whole lot of sense Dame Lillard always talk that he may leave but I think they're more inclined what they really want to do is package that number three pick with maybe some of their other young players bringing another superstar I saw Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Fleet going there in a larger trade that would make sense for yeah. Toronto yeah. if you can pilfer an Anthony Simons or a Shaden Sharp and get the third pick and get another young player that might make sense to to kind of start from scratch and then of course the rumors with James Harden a lot of talk about DeAndre Ayton right but I'm hearing now that with Frank Vogel coming in who's very much a player's coach and gets along with people they're more inclined to keep Ayton and see if Vogel can bring him into the fold rather than get get rid of him so I know Ernie is a YouTube fanatic, so I'm not sure if you're hearing some of the same things or maybe different things that you're hearing, but what have you been hearing that has piqued your curiosity, Celtic or not? Yeah, well, from the Celtic side, uh, Steven Silas, former uh, Rockets head coach, is uh, you know the front runner to get at least one of the assistant coach jobs. As you mentioned, there's uh, four vacancies because I think they wanted to fill four spots. They were down one spot, three left. So uh, there's a lot more uh, to be added onto that roster. I'm hoping that they go with a lot of veteran type of uh, coaching. I don't want anybody who is, you know, fairly, fairly raw. You know, we have enough of that. Uh, As far as the Jalen Brown trade, I mean, I'm a Jalen Brown fan. I think I've made that loud and clear. But even up to my point, uh, I believe uh, because more than a Jalen Brown fan, I am a Celtics fan. And it's frustrating, you know, just watching him uh, go through last year and have even a worse, in my opinion, a worse ball handling series this year. Uh, he's, he's, although he's getting, his stats are better, uh, the problems still seem to be there and not going away. Uh, I don't see that. I see that as let's just say that I see that as a weakness uh, in playoffs to come, you know. So I I I am open to to trades. The one that I I was looking at that you kind of mentioned was the uh, the Portland one for Anthony Simons, uh, the number three, and I I can't remember who else was a piece on top of that. So that's one trade. Another one, which is the most likely that's going to happen, is Brogdon's probably going to leave. I think they need a real dedicated wing out there. I think they're uh, bludgeoned with guards on the Celtics. Peyton Pritchard, who I thought should have a lot more playing time, and who's a very capable player, was relegated to you know mop-up duty you know in these playoffs. I think he should get at least a fair shot next year I think Brogdon is going to be put on the line he makes 24 million although he was six man of the year when you have a glutton of uh, you know guard players on the Boston Celtics Derek Wright really proved his medal in these playoffs I think that's something that you could for you could use that trade piece to fortify the wing spot or possibly the center spot Al Four Horford is is gaining in age and whatnot I still stick to what I told you last week Ernie Anthony Davis for Robert Williams and Jalen Brown that's an official offer. You take that to I'll, Brad Stevens when I'll you ta- talk to him I'll, tomorrow I'll take, morning. I'll take that. But, <laughs> you know, as far as other news that you've heard, I, I've heard Harden will probably stay. I heard Houston will not will not take Harden. Uh, I heard that 
if anyone's going to lead the Lakers, it's going to be LeBron more than AD. And you kind of like figured that out. I heard Jordan Poole is a done deal in regards to the Golden State Warriors. I heard that uh, uh, Damian Lillard is not going to be le- leaving. Like you mentioned, they're looking to bring it back one more time. Uh, try to make those, uh, you know, those uh, pawns in their system trade pieces. The more interesting one is what are they going to be doing in Toronto, where everybody on that team is six seven and athletic. They uh, talk about a glutton of talent in that category as far as wings are concerned. Uh, you know, they've got a bevy of them, and we, we know that they're not going to keep Van Fleet. Van Fleet's going to be shipped out. What kind of return can they get? back in, in you know in those types of trees that's going to be an interesting situation and boss and and they don't even have a they don't even have a coach right now so i don't even know if budenholzer goes over there i don't know any other name that is possibly you know up for uh consideration in regards to the toronto job but that could be a very interesting situation in regards to uh do they keep is that roster in total flux because I think that roster has a ton think, of talent. And I think that's, if you're a coach, you want to have that answer before you take this job. You know, so if they are going to start from scratch, then they may be looking at another Nick Nurse, a new coach getting started to, to, um, to help rebuild this. Because if you're an experienced coach, which right now you have Coach Budenholzer, you have Doc Rivers, do you really want that Toronto job? I mean, it doesn't seem no. ideal yeah. when they seemed they they seemed determined to trade Siakam and especially Van Fleet. Yeah, I think that I think that's they're gonna th- they're gonna do the San Antonio Spurs OKC model. They're gonna tank for you know draft picks. They're gonna get rid of all their stars, training for number one pieces, and rebuild from scratch. I heard Doc is going into the into the TV booth. Budenholzer is going to go into semi-retirement, so we won't see Budenholzer. Well, because they both they both have paychecks. Oh yeah, so, you yeah. know, so there there's really no rush to take a job yeah. if you don't desperately want to coach or if you have other opportunities. Yeah. So yeah, uh, and Budenholzer just lost his brother. It kind of makes sense at this point in time. Pick up your paycheck from the Milwaukee Bucks. You won a championship two years ago. Take care of your family. See if there's a better situation that opens up next year yeah but the biggest one that's intriguing to me was that Giannis didn't close the door in regards to would you accept the trade and he was like shocking to me I'd consider it Mm -hmm. you know which is like if you're a Bucks fan it's like oh my goodness but you look from the Bucks standpoint or from Giannis's standpoint you got Middleton who had a disappointing comeback year you know, Drew Holiday is... He's good. He's good, but he's in the latter stages of his mm-hmm. career. And you got Brooks Lopez, who's even older than that. Oh, he had a terrific year, but is, is that an anomaly? The guy is 36-year-old. Oh, he's a free agent. You know, so... I mean, would you trade Giannis? I mean, I think at this point he's still young. That would be shocking to me that they would trade him. But the return for him would be astronomical in order for them to trade him. Giannis for everyone on OKC. <laughs> oh, and their draft picks. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and their draft picks. Giannis. Well, the thing with Giannis, though, is it's, he, it's a little bit different. It's, he, as dominant as his greatest he is, 
I don't v- look at him in the same world or the same realm as a LeBron or even a even a Michael Jordan because of his deficiencies in his shooting. And LeBron sucks at shooting threes now at 39 in the fourth quarters. But his inability to hit free throws and his inability to hit shots, his game is overpowering speed, length, and athleticism. That's going to wane. It waned for Kobe. It waned for Jordan. And they changed into fadeaway jump shooters or being real dominant in the mid-range. Giannis has to get to the basket to be effective. Mm-hmm. And maybe 10, 15% of the time, he'll have a hot shooting night. He'll catch fire from outside. But for the most part, everything is going downhill. And when that starts to go a little bit, and you saw a little bit of chinks in him sitting out because of a sore knee, mm-hmm. him sitting out because of a sore back. Right. Um, oh, but if you would go to someplace like Golden State, which is what I kind of heard early on, for a hall of players... Um, and you have Curry, Clay, Draymond, and Giannis. That would happen. They would. They would be one of the favorites. Oh yeah, they would be. They would be <laughs> not one of the favorites. They would be the favorite. You would that. get rid of the Wiggins, the Kamingas, the Moody's, the Pools, the. Yeah, it would be Golden State and their G League squad because that's all they could afford because they'd be so much over the cap, but. That team would be the favorite to win the NBA championship. Oh, yeah, yeah, they would. But that's what makes, I mean, these rumors, I think, makes it so much fun. We are a few weeks away from the draft, but the draft is kind of set. We know Victor Wimbenyama is going to be the number one pick. It's kind of what happens after that. Yeah. And then right as we turn into July when free agency and trades can happen, I'm really curious to see. I'm fascinated by my Lakers situation. I was thrilled that they made it as far as they did, but I'm also realistic enough to know that if this team was going to win it was going to have to be this year yeah because next year you just never know what you're going to get from ad lebron will be in his 21st year and i think you saw that he's more of a a number two now and he needs strong pieces so are we going to give um austin reeves up to a hundred million dollars to keep him because San Antonio looks like they really want him. Are we going to keep Rui at all costs? They say they are. And then what do we get out of the D'Angelo Russell in a sign-in trade? Are they going to get anything remotely good? Yeah, and if they do a sign-in trade, then they're hard caps. And that limits them even more, in my opinion. So I don't know about that sign-in trade. Yeah, so yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll have to see. I'm curious to see what happens with the Lakers. Um but I love the offseason. I mean, I love the NBA offseason more than I do the NFL because you don't necessarily have quite as much movement. You certainly don't have quite as much trades uh, in the NFL. But it's going to be an exciting time to see what the Lakers do yeah. for me yeah. and then for you what the Celtics do. I mean, there's a chance that the Celtics do nothing. <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> I, I mean, there is. I mean, oh, there is a chance God. that they I, don't do nothing uh, and then they just roll it back again for the seventh year of Brown, Tatum, and, uh, and the, and the I'm game. T- I'm tired of just making it to the Eastern Conference Finals. <laughs> I feel you. I, 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 I totally understand Cause, that. Cause but they, the, you can't just... Give Jalen Brown away. So if they can upgrade in some way, shape, or form, yeah. um, then I think it makes total sense. But some of the things that I've seen, other than my own proposal of Anthony Davis uh, for, for Jalen Brown, 
I don't. I wouldn't do it if I was the Celtics. I mean, John yeah. Collins, the combination of a John Collins and Bogdanovich, or even Clint Capella, but you got to give up Robert Williams. Uh, there was nothing. The closest one was the Siakam one, but it was multiple teams involved. It was quite chaotic. Uh, but that took a lot of Celtic players. I mean, it was Marcus Smart was going, Brogdon was going, Williams was going. That's. I don't know if you want to blow up the whole team. And all, we were, all the Celtics were getting back with Siakam? No, it was Siakam and it was... No, they were getting two players and number one draft picks. But it was like from good teams. So it wasn't like in the lottery type, type, of, type of pick. So I just... Siakam would be a good fit there. As a replacement for Jalen Brown, but he doesn't make them better no, than he, with Jalen Brown. He makes them worse. At, at, yeah, he would at best, at his best, it would be even, but it would be a slightly down. Yeah. You have to get strength somewhere else to make that worth it. So, I am, I'm, I'm interested to see what the Celtics do because I think they're gonna drive it because realistically, Jalen Brown is probably the best player on the market, possibly, possibly. because he's young. The only problem with him is you in a year, and he wants it now, so he's kind of putting the pressure on the Celtics. He wants to sign that max extension now, which makes total sense because he's a second-team All-NBA. Yeah, and he, and he'll so get, now is when he it. can get the $287 million. If the Celtics pay him that now, that complicates the trade to me yeah. because then – you're, you know that you're going to have him and that big salary, and does it fit in I, what I, you're trying to do? I, I totally agree with you on top of that. If they pay Jalen Brown now, and they, they don't have to pay him, they can offer him that contract all the way until next year. But free agency opens, I believe, in the early part of July, July so about, about a month from now. So if the Celtics want to save money, because if they, if they trade Jalen Brown before offering him that extension, the most Jalen Brown can make is like $200 million or something like that. Uh, so, was it 200 million or 400 million? I can't remember. But it was significantly less than if he signed the Supermax. Yeah, the Supermax for him was 287. Yeah, but if they sign, you know, him, they can't trade him for a year. See, so that's the. They can't trade him, but this, they're going to have to hold him for a year, then they got to trade him. Yeah, so that complicates things. But that's what the fun is. We're going to have a lot of fun digesting these things as long as it makes our teams better yeah. because we don't want to be crying that it yeah. makes our teams worse so. okay, I'm not like I said the, the Celtics I wouldn't be surprised if they're picked to win it all next year but I just don't believe it in this uh, you know this, in this current this, past. yeah in this this iteration I've seen it already yeah and, and I agree I, I, I totally agree if with Ime you. was on there then I'd have a little bit more faith I just don't know if Missoula can make that jump especially with a brand new coaching staff exactly so I'm going to transition to my closing thought but before Ernie I, I do want to mention the Aloha Stadium situation we didn't talk about this in detail okay. but we do have a new plan in place that's going to be a private-public partnership. The new AD took office yesterday, so maybe he can play his role in there. Um, I think the first thing that has to happen is we get an agreement done immediately. And I think where the concessions are, when you get the private part involved, I think where the concession is is nobody wants a 25,000-seat bleacher stadium. So if the state needs to give more to a private uh, entity – to sweeten the pot to make a better stadium, I think that's what's going to have to happen. Mm -hmm. So at least we have some progress with 
The expectation of a completed stadium by the summer of 2028, meaning 23, 24, 25, five more football seasons on the UH campus. So, guys, if you're listening on the mainland, this is Hawaii politics. (laughs) Any project that has to happen times it by two or three for the length of time to complete and by five or ten the cost to complete yeah that's just how we roll here in hawaii everything you get the least for the most in the most amount of time I'll, so i'll i gotta i i'll echo that because i was uh you know in, in my business life uh one of the, my my fellow board members was uh the state transportation director so we had a lot of input in regards to, uh, you know, our current ongoing uh, transit that should have been finished a while ago. And it was budgeted at, can you believe it was budgeted at $4 billion? <laughs> that is so, that seems so cheap now. <laughs> That's, and people were like, and, and that was, you know, going all the way to Ala Moana. Now it's not even doing that, and we're, it's like, it's crazy. Yep. So, it is. so, That's, so, that I, is I, Hawaii. Politics. So, when Monty says that, basically, he's not joking, folks. That's, that's how it is over here. Absolutely, that's how it is. Okay, so before I go to my closing thought, I do want to uh, talk about the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. Kule Agbayani is in Japan this week, so locking it down in the mornings is Paul Breck and Alan Mia. Wow. Uh, Mondays through Friday, wake up in the den, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m., 7.60 a.m., 95.1 FM. And again, if you want to listen to California Angel Baseball, essentially the only place to hear all of Shohei Otani's games, again, you can only do so on the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. But Ernie, I want to trans... My closing thoughts going to be... Guys, you guys know I like lists. We've talked so much NBA, which is wonderful. But I'm going to talk a little bit of NFL really quick. At the end of the initial phase of free agency and the draft, which NFL teams, in my opinion, have improved the most? Not who are the best teams. I'm not saying these teams are even playoff teams, but I believe from where they were last year to where they are right now, these teams are, in my opinion, the top five most improved teams. And number five, I have the Denver Broncos solely because they replaced uh, Nathaniel Hackett with Sean Payton. (laughs) So you're talking about one of the best coaches of all time, and I think he is a quarterback whisperer. I think he gets Russell Wilson back on track. They invested in their offensive line, bringing in Mike McGlinchey, bringing in um, another one of the guards. So I think him alone makes them the number five most improved team. I saw him at the Nuggets game, game one. Yep, he's there repping out. (laughs) Number four, I have the Miami Dolphins. And again, for the Miami Dolphins, offensively, they seem to be dominant when to us healthy so i'm going to assume that he is healthy and hopefully all the martial arts is teaching him how to fall the special helmet is helping him but i have them at number four for one reason number five from the los angeles rams jalen ramsey i think you send jalen ramsey to the miami dolphins and you put him with their other cornerback with the pass rush that they have he's a lockdown corner now so offensively they're strong you have a tremendous pass rush you have two lockdown corners and a pro pro bowl caliber young safety i think jalen ramsey makes their defense and you bring in vic 
Fangio as the defensive coordinator who knows how to get a pass rush and to take advantage of Jaden Ramsey just taking care of one side of the field. I think Miami's, if they stay healthy and Tua stays healthy, are going to be a threat to be a playoff team. Chicago Bears is number three. I think they did a wonderful job leveraging that trade, going from one to nine, still getting a a competent player there. They get DJ Moore um, as well. They have Jamal Williams that have come on there to be their, their, one of their running backs. Um, I like what they've done. I think Justin Fields, there are no excuses anymore. They have a good running back situation with, uh, with Herbert and Williams. They have DJ Moore, Claypool. They have additional tight ends. They've invested a little bit in their offensive line. I think the Bears are significantly better than they were last year, and it wouldn't surprise me if they bump up towards the top of that north in the NFC. Number two, the Seattle Seahawks. Um, Now, this is going on the assumption that Geno Smith is going to play like how he played last year. Not better, but just at the same level. I love the fact that they brought in... Their draft was awesome. They got a dominant DB with the fifth pick. Then they lucked out with the Ohio State wide receiver falling to 20. You add him to Lockett and Metcalf. Then they get a quality running back in the second round to pair up with their rookie of the year caliber running back from this year. I think offensively they're going to be really, really strong. And I think the sneaky thing here is bringing Bobby Wagner back. He was with the Rams last year. He was the Rams MVP last year. And he comes back where he wants to be that leadership that that defense does not have because they are very young in that secondary and on their line now. That that leadership presence that Bobby Wagner brings, I believe Seattle is a playoff team, um, but they have San Francisco to deal with. So I have them at number two and my number one most improved team, the New York Jets. And that's all about Aaron Rodgers. I think you replace Zach Wilson and Mike White with Aaron Rodgers, you cannot help but to be significantly improved. When you're talking about a top five caliber defense already, and they almost made a playoff push last year, all of these young defensive players, you assume if they're healthy will be better with Robert Sala as the coach, a defensive-minded coach. Now you get a situation that Aaron Rodgers comes in. You bring in some pieces at wide receiver. Now the running back has to come back. Brees Hall has to come back healthy from the ACL because Aaron Rodgers likes that balance. But I think just the fact that you go from Zach Wilson to Aaron Rodgers, that's a tremendous upgrade there. I have the New York Jets as my number one most improved team. Now from these five teams, I think the Dolphins, the Seahawks, are definitely going to make the playoffs in my eyes and the well I shouldn't say that the Dolphins I think the Seahawks will definitely make the playoffs the Dolphins and the Jets will be in the hunt but the AFC is just so unbelievably loaded that one injury to a major player and it doesn't have to be Tua Tyreek Hill goes out or defensively they lose somebody or if Aaron Rodgers loses his offensive lineman like last year, anything can happen. So I don't want to say that they're definitely going to be in the playoff hunt, um, but they certainly make my list of the top five most improved teams so far this offseason. Mm, yeah, really, really interesting. And I'm glad you didn't go via the route of who had the best draft and included that in there, because as we all know, 
you can't grade the draft until three years from now. So we're talking about, you know, the guys who are drafted in the year 2020, how will they impact their teams now? Because that's really where they start really making an impact. Uh, I believe in the Jets, but yeah, that to me, that really relies on Aaron Rodgers melding with, uh, you know, that coaching staff and that team. Uh I think it'll happen, but it's not a guarantee. I'm 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 thinking it does like sixty forty, and and if he goes if he goes sideways or he plays uh, below that, uh, you know that's big. Yeah. It's not. But that, it's but not that, gonna happen. that determines. I mean, there are some people that have them in the Super Bowl contention. That's the the completely optimistic. He's gonna have the MVP seasons that he had he, two and three years ago. I, I, I and I wouldn't if he does. I wouldn't put that out of his reach. Yeah, I, I agree. But at the floor, even if he has a disappointing season, as long as he's not hurt, he's still going to be 10 times better than what Zach Wilson was last year. So I think at, at the floor, they're still going to be significantly better than they were last year. I'm not sure I'm ready to put him in the battling Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes for the Super Bowl level yet. But... I, Wouldn't that be interesting? That, yeah. Wouldn't that be interesting if, if he if gets I'll, them in contention for the Super Bowl? I'll tell you New what. York if, Jets. If, he, if he, I mean, who can say that he's not going to have an MVP season? I, I, I definitely will not say that. Yeah. I mean, we've all seen Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he's got multiple MVPs, right? Yeah, the last time we looked down upon him when they drafted Jordan Love, he responded with two straight MVPs. He had a slightly down year. Now he's mad and probably embarrassed yeah. that they got rid of him. He's going to come back with, with a point to with, prove. With that defense and that defensive minded head coach, he takes care of the offense. They, they can definitely make waves. But, again, he's aged. How does he fit in as far as chemistry-wise? To me, that chemistry portion is the biggest thing. And with him, you just never know. Yeah, you never know. Right now, he's doing exactly. everything right. Yeah. He's hitting the social scene. He's showing up at everything. He's at OTAs. He's throwing with receivers. All the things he never did with Green Bay yeah. uh, last year, he's doing that now. If he continues, that's good news for the fans of the, of the New York Jets. Yeah, and then your second one was Miami. Miami may not be a surprise because they started off so well last season. Yeah. They kind of you know with his injury yeah with it with Tua's injury kind of flat not flattened out or basically the air went out of the balloon mm-hmm. when that basically happened so I think they're you know with or without their moves on the offseason you know I, I would have put them uh, you know at the worst third in that division and you're talking about a division with the Buffalo Bills and the New England Patriots Patriots are to me, they're the one of the worst good teams out there, just yeah. because they, just because they have Belichick. But uh, I, you know, that wouldn't be surprised. To me, the most, uh, you know, and it's it's really it's hard to tell because in the NFL, a lot of it comes down to health in key positions. I mean, I mean, I look at the Pittsburgh Steelers when T.J. Watt went out. I mean, that kind of that kind of derailed their chances. If he comes back steady and they had a real good. Uh, off season, I'm not talking just about the draft. And to me, they had a, an excellent draft. I just don't know if they can make the impact this year. But their off season, uh, replacing both of the middle inside linebackers, revamping that offensive line. I think you, you, folks, you're, you're probably going to see uh, three ch- changes on that offensive line, which did pretty good last year. They started off slow. At the end of the year, I think they were a mid a mid level offensive line. 
I, I think they're able to crack the top 10. And if Kenny Pickett does well, especially with, uh, boy, who was the, how come I can't even remember his name? The speedster that I talked about last season for, for, the, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. The, was the rookie guy that never yeah, came the, back? The, the camp phenom. I can't even remember his name. But anyway, he's doing the same thing again this year. If he stays healthy, you know, and you got Pickens, you got uh, Deontay Johnson out there. Uh, you know, that can, you guys, oh, can you guys tell that Ernie has shifted from Celtics to Steelers already? I, he I, is I, in I have. full-on <laughs> Steeler I have. mode. I have. <laughs> Biased opinion, I would have put them at least at five. Of course you would. But <laughs> <laughs> gang, all NBA for the most part. I wanted to break up the monotony of just the NBA. There's not a whole lot going on. I do want to give accolades to the University of Oklahoma women's softball team who have now won 50 games in a row. They are 2-0 so far in the College World Series, playing the winner's bracket game tomorrow against Florida State, going for their 51st consecutive wins. They are 58-1 on the season. And Rose Zhang, the female Tiger Woods, following the same roadmap. Tiger went two years to Stanford, won two national championships. Rose Zhang, two years at Stanford, won two straight national championships, turned pro, and today... In her very first professional tournament, for the first time since 1951, in your tournament professional debut, she wins her first tournament. She is going to do for women's golf, I believe, what we were hoping Michelle Wee was supposed to do around 25 years ago. Michelle dated one of the Lopez twins and it was downhill from there. (laughs) But gang, that wraps up our show. By the time we record next week, we'll be done with game five of the NBA Finals. I'm curious to see where we're at. Are we going to be over? Somebody going to win three straight? Or if not, who's going to be up 3-2? Will it be Miami taking care of home court or will Denver be able to bounce back? That's going to be very, very curious, very, very interesting. And again, Check out Wake Up in the Den, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m., 760 a.m., 95.1 FM on your radio dial. Anything else for you, Ernie? I'm good. All right, and until next week, the sports rivals are out. Thank you for joining us on the Sports Rivals podcast. Check us out on social media at Sports Rivals Podcasts on Instagram and at Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter, where you can share topics you'd like to hear.